The phone conversation between fantasy veterans Bob Harris and Matt Waldman is a quick and dirty rundown of players, units, or teams from Sunday's games. Feel it or fuck it is our instant verdict on the fantasy value of a player situation, not the ability, effort, or character of the player. This is just how two old-timers in this industry talk when they got a lot of cover in a little time. Happy Labor Day, Harris. Oh, labor. Labor is what it's all about. We're heading into week one. We got to get things rolling. It's always a nice week. There's no games on Sunday, so I can start creating a little bit early based on what we know from the uh, final week of practices and cut downs. Uh, Plenty going on, Matt. I don't think there's any shortage of topics and good times ahead here. No. Nope. Uh, are you ready? I, I think so. I think I so. I mean, uh, ready? That's a big picture. Are you ready? I mean, yeah. the, the season starts. It's kind of like a ready or not a tiger, you know? grabbing a tiger by the tail and getting drugged through the weeds. I'll see you in uh, January. That's right. We can talk about what all happened. Well, for all the folks out there who are football guy subscribers, I'll be at on their Discord server at one o'clock Eastern time. If you want to ask your questions. I'll uh, I'll do my best to answer them. I may even imitate Bob on a few of them. We'll see what do we it, can do. What it. We can no. do. And uh, and go hit the Football Diehards YouTube channel. I did a similar thing on Saturday. You can watch the replay. You can catch me every Saturday and every Wednesday and Saturday. So Wednesdays at seven p.m. Saturdays at noon. Questions will be asked. Answers will be given. Occasionally, they will be correct. So just out of since it's Labor Day, tell me about your first job. I want to. I want to know. Feel it or fuck it. Whether this was this was a good first job that you. So ever I spent had. Uh, the entirety of my youth working for my father, who had a, a livestock feed and supply store. So that meant uh, mostly hay hauling. Uh, there was lots of lots of hay hauling, and you know, just, just a lot of throwing around of feed bags and uh, and uh, and such like as that. The summers, though, the hay hauling is what stands out. Uh, you would get up, it's in Arizona, so most of the hay is grown in Yuma, probably the hottest part of the state. You would get up at 2 one morning, drive to Yuma from Tucson, uh, load up your 20 tons of hay, come back, unload half of it at 6 in the evening when it cooled down, get up at 6 the next morning, unload the other half, get up the next day at 2 and do it all over again. And we would do that pretty much over the course of the summer. So that was always a good time. My dad's alarm clock, of course, was a shoe hurled at my head uh, from the bedroom door. So that that added to the good times. So I would, I think most people would say in building character wise, totally feeling that, experiencing what that was like, fuck that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Mine, <laughs> mine was hilarious because mine last, I, I, I said fuck that to my job, my first job after four hours. It was working as a stock um as a stalker at a grocery store um and after s- s- standing around feeling like i was just like looking around the this huge grocery store with the dull-eyed stare of a dairy cow i i, I clocked out walked a mile home and went to the apartment complex i worked at and said do you have any like work that i can do <laughs> out here and they were like yeah we need someone to like collect the trash um, from the apartment complex and then do and then use the blower to 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 clean off the uh the asphalt in the apartment complex and it was a you know it was probably a it was a fairly large apartment complex i mean it probably had about a i want to say about three or four hundred apartments you know that that in that area so it was it was physical work but it beat just standing still 
Yeah, here's the thing. I mean, and fuck that. I mean, all kid jobs are pretty much fuck yeah. that jobs. But but uh, my dad was probably not the guy that you were going to tell fuck it to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At any yeah. at any particular point in time, uh, probably to this day. Uh, so so there's that. Yeah, bailing hay and and lifting hay and thr- yeah, no no thank yeah that I'm sure if he spent a lifetime doing that. That he still probably has the grip that will make Adrian <laughs> Peterson cry. So, probably so. <laughs> so, what's your favorite job from your youth? That was it. That was the only one I had. <laughs> uh, you know, so uh, compared to though, compared to the days off, which on Sunday uh, the shoe would come flying at my head at six in the morning, and uh, we would go out and clean out our cow corrals, which was a big endeavor, but something he insisted on doing every Sunday morning. Uh, that was uh, so the hay hauling was easily my favorite job in comparison to the day off job, which was shoveling poop. Yeah, see, I have you beat. I I worked at a I worked at a CD and record store that was like a specialty store at a at a mall across the street from an AMC theater um, back in the in the eighties. Just the CDs started coming out, and I had to take a test to get the job because apparently the owner of the the place. It was called music, 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 and the owner of the place um, wanted people to have specialties. So I was the only person who ever guessed who Big Spiderbeck was, who took the test, and I was 17 years old, which just kind of blew him away that I even knew who that was. Um, so I got the job, not much less to say, and then I came back my first year of college after being there two years, and one of my coworkers. And I was hoping to, you know, start back up in the summer. And my coworker was bagging groceries. And I'm like, why aren't you over it? He goes, you didn't hear? I said, no. I said, he got, he was, uh, he was scamming from the IRS for like five years. And they finally came in and raided the store. And he had left the country. <laughs> and they, they, they took over the store. <laughs> I hey. still, I still have promos from that, from, I have still promo records from that store to this day um that that i got to keep i i missed that i missed that place but uh, after learning seeing kind of the accounting practices that he had us do at the end of the day i'm not surprised <laughs> so your job was also my favorite job except it wasn't mine it was yours uh, there we go so sean tucker will Speaking he be jobs. taking rashad white's favorite job by october <laughs> um uh, not feeling it, nor am I fucking it. It's running backs. It's NFL. Anything can happen. I think it's interesting. The, I mean, I don't want to say you know in the times we live in that a player is polarizing because <laughs> you know it's a scale thing. But 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 how, but he, Just how polarizing? But, yeah. but 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 he's pretty polarizing in the fantasy community. There are people out there who think he's going to be phenomenal, and there's some numbers from last year without Leonard Fournette. The, what a 21 percent target share and game without Leonard Fournette. I mean, it's not like a huge sample size, but there's reason to believe Rashad White's going to be pretty busy in what might not be a great offense. So um, <clears throat> I'm guessing if he stays healthy, he probably keeps it. But I mean, I, I'm pretty sure you're going to uh, advise me just how good Sean Tucker can be. And we can remember why he wasn't drafted. It had nothing to do with his on-field abilities. It was the health concerns. And so, so, I mean, it's running back. Anything can happen. Um, I'm going to say I'm feeling quite keeping this job as long as he is serviceable. My fuck it statement for this is that Sean Tucker will probably be taking Kalen Bellage's job 
junior by by October. I think he's kind of the Kalen Bellage of of this draft recent draft cycle. Why do you um, hate Arizona State players, Matt Waldman? I don't know. I I really don't know. I mean, I haven't been out there. So I well, I, I'm from Tucson, so I hate them by default. Uh, I'm see, an Arizona Wildcat fan, but see, Sun Devils are you know. There it is. I saw. How do you get a Sun Devil like... off your porch? You pay him for the pizza. That's the that's the Tucson <laughs> line. Well, I don't know what it is. I mean, Rashad White. I think he's a great athlete. I'm just not sure he's a um, an NFL caliber starting running back in terms of the skill sets that he needs to have. He's. I think that he's um, not a great decision maker. Doesn't use his pads well. Um, tends to see flashes of color that are that he should just like drop the pads and work downhill on and he tries to run away from it whereas Sean Tucker's a very good cutback runner a lot quicker and faster um, maybe doesn't have White's receiving skills but I think that he's a smarter runner overall even though he has a little bit of work to do to be honest with you it's not going to make that much of a difference either way whoever has that job because I don't think that offensive line is going to be strong enough and their quarterbacks are going to put them in situations where it's not going to be um, pretty for the running game. But we shall see. You never know. Jameer Gibbs, though, they say he's earning slot usage um, when many coaches, you know, but I've, I've seen folks say, you know, our buddy Dave Kluge over at Football Guys say, well, I'll believe it when I see it, um, you know, and, and the percentage of slot usage on um in the preseason wasn't very high but it was very high during practice and then they also recently coaches came out ben johnson said we're going to be using in ways that people don't even expect so you know what are your thoughts on this whole usage thing for jameer gibbs and what it means bottom line i'm hoping they use him if they use him similar to how they use deandre swift or how they wanted let's rephrase that how they wanted to use deandre swift but didn't have the faith in his ability or his health or or their ability to do so. I mean, remember, even when he was healthy at times last year, he wasn't getting the usage uh, that they probably intended early in the season. And I think it's because some of the coaches there, I'm looking at you, Deuce Daly, didn't really have a lot of faith in him, right? And so you thought maybe a change of running backs coach this year and and it would work in his favor and he gets traded away. And you can see Scotty Montgomery's love for Jameer Gibbs in the, that initial interview that's floating around the Twitter. Yeah. I mean, he, he was he's smitten like a kitten. Um, but there's a lot to like here. I mean, I think Jameer Gibbs had, what, a 15% target share at Alabama uh, over the course of his time there. I mean, it's pretty significant. Here's the thing. He doesn't need to – I mean, okay, they let's say they do him in the slot uh, and get all kinds of things going on. All they really need to do is use him like they use Swift, and he'll be perfectly fine. Last year's numbers were a bit of an outlier for the running backs because of Jamal Williams' huge touchdown total. But if you gave – Jameer Gibbs, 55% of last year's running back production, he would finish this year as running back eight or seven, right in that range. Also, our buddy Dwayne McFarland pointed out recently, and I think this is the telling number, he doesn't have to have all the carries to be super successful, right? Christian McCaffrey and Alvin Kamara in their rookie seasons didn't get more than 30% of their team's rushing yards or rushing, rushing workload, yet they finished in the top 10, three and nine respectively, at running back as rookies. There's plenty of room for Jameer Gibbs to do exceedingly well, whether he's working out of the slot or not. So fuck it to him working out of the slot all the time. I don't really care. I just care that he's working. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. I would say Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery um, is a tandem that 
you wouldn't mind investing in either back you, one yep. maybe a little earlier than the other but not so not <clears throat> so much and i would say that's the same with new england i would look at new england's backs and detroit's backs and say they've got yeah. good lines they're going to pound the ball and you can get value out of both right and i've been you know i you know the joke is uh, you know i'm a hammer and jameer gibbs is my nail because i am hitting that thing every chance i get i'm going to be honest i liked hitting it harder when it was a fourth round price right but that price has gone up to the third round i'm still willing to pay it now you're seeing it creep into the second i don't get them as i or i wasn't getting them as much now that i'm done with my drafts but but i you know i have ample shares you know at a great price ample shares at a reasonable price and probably a share or so i overpaid for but but that's the nature of these things is is off seasons roll on and people get a little more comfortable with where they think a player's outcomes might be so are you are you comfortable taking Kadarius Tony as say a wide receiver two that you know this week as with him being day to day with the knee and people flying off of him, um, you know all August after the first, after the injury? Fuck that. He's still coming off a meniscus injury, right? It's been not, sitting out six weeks. Like if you want to take your shot there, I don't know if you know where you were drafting him out there, dear listener. I was drafting him as a running back four. I probably have three better options this week. And I can take a wait-and-see approach and see what the health situation is. Might I miss out on a huge game? Yes. I almost might miss out on a huge game from Devontae Parker, who I drafted as my fifth wide receiver, or Rashid Shaheed, who I drafted as my sixth wide receiver. Right? It's entirely possible. That's that's the nature of the game. So I'm not going to take chances. I am interested in Tony. I do have a ton of shares of him prior to the injury and my best balls that I was drafting early as a wide receiver four-level play. And I, and and probably I've dialed back since then, but but like we know the range of outcomes with him is super high. We've seen it on the field. He's yeah. an athletic freak. We also know Kansas City's plan at wide receiver one is Patrick Mahomes is going to decide that snap to snap because that's how they've decided to run this offense. Their wide receiver one is to be determined by Patrick Mahomes, and it's determined by who's open. So get open, young man, and be wide receiver one. See, there you go. I like Tony as a wide receiver two in week one, but I think that's more because I like – Adam Harstead's idea and theory that week one really doesn't mean shit when you think about it. Um, the first month of the season really doesn't mean as much as the, the final you know 12 weeks and then, of course, the playoffs. So you have more room for error in week one. I'll take chances with guys that I really value and think that they could start off strong. The meniscus is, is a, certainly a concern um, to an extent, but I think if he's day-to-day, that means he's pretty close to being yeah, I, good I to do go. Think, I mean, they've been pretty you know, adamant they're going to play, and Patrick Mahomes said yesterday that he's eager to have him back and all that. I just, if I don't need to play him, I'll probably, I'll probably dial back. Probably would have some shares of him, though, in my DFS lineups, in my tournament lineups. There you go. I'm playing that Thursday slate. How about Marvin Mims? Is he a wide receiver, too, producer in week one, considering that he's going to have to see the see some targets with uh, old Jerry Judy out? Maybe. Maybe. I mean, you know, he's, a, he's, a, he's to me, he's kind of in the same boat as some of those other players I mentioned. I'm drafted him really late. If I find myself in a bind, if I, you know, if I have, like, I was setting my lineups last night. I put out a tweet yesterday that two tweets. People mostly saw the first one of me saying, me drafting on a picture of a guy crushing his beer can, all excited. The second picture was of the Fox, like looking in shocked dismay as he sets his lineups. Uh, and that's me setting lineups. I looked at, oh, man, my draft seems so good. And I'm sitting here looking at my my actual possibilities. I set lineups. Marvin Mims might be a savior for you, depending on how your draft played out, right? If you have some holes that you didn't expect to have maybe Cooper Cup related holes or even Jerry Judy related holes so I think more for me he's an emergency play until I see it. I think this offense is going to be fine 
but I don't need to force him into lineups expecting big production this week. Sure, but do you? And and I get that, but do you think he can deliver wide? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. Well, and so, so to go back to the previous question, Jerry's Tony can deliver wide receiver one production. So to your point, if you have an opening in your lineup and you want to take a chance, I'm totally not against taking a chance. I'm assuming, I'm hoping you have more reliable options. Yeah, makes makes total sense. I just wanted to make sure because yep. you were kind of getting grandpa on us with the with the like the be that. careful thing. Yeah, and I was like, you know, come on now. I just want to know if they're good or not. You know, so. But but that's all right, you know, from one grandpa to another. Um, <laughs> how about Cooper Cup? First round pick in September in fantasy drafts. Are you taking are you are you taking that chance on him now? Or are you looking at it and saying, look, it's it's September. He's gonna he'll be back in a few weeks. You know, even if he misses four weeks, is it really that big of a deal considering the pace that he's on? Or is it more like, man, one bad thing leads to another? It's kind of a mix of the two. The my my predominant theme is I still want Cooper Cup because I think that's what I'm doing. Is I, I I'm asking myself, is what I'm talking about now what I'm going to be talking about in October? I don't I, and I and I'm hoping it's not. It might be in Cup's case though. I mean honestly, so you have to take that account. And so I talked about this when I when we initially got the news. I knocked him down, you know, to four of my rankings. I didn't want to overreact. Um, because he was my number one, right? <laughs> so I wanted to react but not overreact. And then the news that he's seeing a body specialist in Minnesota and it seems like he might miss some time. And and so, you know, I'll drop him down. I think there are more reliable options. But if he falls into the second round and I'm still drafting, it's going to be hard for me to say no. See, the way I would look at it is if you're in a September draft and you know that that Cooper Cup pick is possibly available, you just, you just kind of pop up in, in your friend's mentions and say, Michael Thomas all over again. Ooh. And see if they, uh, see if, see if the price drops Cooper further. Cup. Yeah, that's right. So how about, I, I think he's a first round pick. I'll take the chance on him. I, you know, I look at it this way. It's like the, the difference between him and the next receiver when he's, when he's playing well, and especially looking at that receiving core that they have with, with LA, I, I would, I would take the shot on him knowing that if it doesn't work out, you know. I'm comparing him to the other options in that same price range in the first round. And I'm probably feeling just as comfortable with them, yeah. you know, going in. We all know, though, anyone can get hurt at any time. So keep that into account. But, you you know, the, the upside of Cooper Cup is consistent weekly production. And how consistent is it? He's the top points per game scorer yeah. every week he's played the last two years. So Yeah, so there you go. Are you drafting Jonathan Taylor? Um, I have not been. Uh, I, I kind of stopped. I felt like I had the shares I had were sufficient. Um, if I was in a single draft heading into this weekend and I saw him in the fifth round, I'd probably be tempted. Yeah, I'd be tempted at that point for sure. I mean, uh, and it just depends on what the makeup of my roster is. If I'm, if if I already have a top running back and I could get Jonathan Run- Taylor as my running back too in the fifth round, I'd probably do it. If I'm if I'm going uh, if I'm going uh, hero RB, I guess, and that would be the example of that. If I was going zero RB, upside down, you know, do the opposite. I might I, I might do that as well, you, you know. But I don't think that I would. Uh, 
you know, I get. I don't think there's a scenario. Come to think of it, Bob, I don't think there's a scenario where I wouldn't take Jonathan Taylor in the fifth round, right? And, you, you know, at that point. I, so. I mean, you know, I, I mean, probably. I, I think I've seen him go in the fourth some as well. I, I'm yeah. probably fine with that as well. I mean, that's kind of the Cooper Cup thing. You drop down to to the far enough point, I'm probably still going to draft the part portion of the season. There is does seem to be more uncertainty uh, with with Taylor, or and, and more certainty. We know he's going to miss four games, so you you know that's the starting point. But after that, hell, you know I've seen him going after Alvin Kamara, who's going to miss three games. That seems perfectly logical. I'll follow that train of logic. And also going back to Cup, I know he hasn't been the highest score every single week. Twitter, don't correct me. I'm at average score the last two years. See, there we go. See, uh, sometimes you just have to. Sometimes you have to circle back with folks. I get it. So, you know, if you have Jonathan Taylor and Deion Jackson is available on waivers and you you didn't really, like, go heavy to the hole on RBs, are you taking a shot on Deion Jackson as the idea of a running back two? Can he be a running back two producer week one? Yeah, feel that. I mean, you know, look, Anthony Richardson is going to threaten opposing defenses. They're going to have an eye on him. They're going to run RPO still. Um, I don't think, you know, Jonathan Taylor's his biggest threat. Uh, as you know, or Jackson's the biggest threat of Jonathan Taylor, but still, I mean, it's gonna he's gonna he's gonna benefit from the presence of Anthony Richardson in that offense. I think he's a viable running back too if you're in a pinch this weekend. Yeah, he's a decent receiver. And he has Jacksonville. Good, he has good speed. Um, so you, you know, he's more of a straight lineish type of guy, but he's shown that he can he can win in the receiving game. And I would have to think that Anthony um, Richardson is going to be better than what we saw of Matt Ryan and and Sam Ellinger last year. Um, we'll just put it that way. Joshua Palmer, does he hold off Quentin Johnston until October? He's the number three right now. I, I kind of feel that based on the people I've talked to in Los Angeles who cover the team on a daily basis, including Joe Reedy, who the Associated Press guy who's just like, just Quentin Johnston's four. That's it. Like, unless something happens to Mike Williams or something, you know, something else that that's where he is, that Josh Palmer is the number three. So I'm going to go with that. I mean, I guess there'll be some pressure, you know, just based on draft capital invested and, you know, and, but, and maybe he'll come out and have, you know, some good plays that and he'll demand, or he being uh, Johnston will demand more playing time through some, you know, taking advantage of some opportunities. But as I sit here today, I feel like Josh Palmer's the number three. Yeah, which tells me that I'm not really, I, I haven't been drafting Quentin Johnston, and I haven't been drafting Joshua Palmer. Um, not that they're not. I no. haven't avoided. I haven't been avoiding Palmer. It's just he doesn't fit the value of what I'm looking for in most cases. And by the time I'm looking for someone like him, I'm also looking for guys who have high ceilings. And I just don't think Joshua Palmer has a high ceiling. Whereas Johnston has a high ceiling, but his floor is like an abyss at this stage yeah. of his career. So he'll get better. I think there's a chance that he'll get better. But the you know I think that this was a smart play by the Chargers when you watch his game that he's they'll use him in certain four receiver sets to run slants inside and he'll probably score touchdowns and people get excited get him the ball more get him the ball more and then then they'll start you know and then when you see him on a fade route you'll understand why it's a box of chocolates at this point um, Van Jefferson and Tutu Atwell are they consistent fantasy producers in three receiver fantasy leagues? Or is this one of those that where Van Jefferson might be, but Tutu Atwell's that, you know, you know, that kite that me and Dwayne were talking about on Twitter, where if the wind blows and he flows through the uprights as he catches a ball, 
Is it a completion and a field goal? Or is it a completion and a touchdown? Or is it just an incomplete pass and a field goal? Or none of the above? If by Tutu Atwell, you'd be Puka Nakua, sure. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Van Jefferson, yes. Tutu, not feeling it. I mean, yeah. Tyler Higby, more likely. Uh, you know, the the tight end, the 100 target tight end whose targets aren't don't seem to be uh, heading towards diminishment anytime soon. I think Van Jefferson, you could play. I say that because as I was sitting there setting some of those lineups where I thought I'd crush those drafts, uh, I'm starting Van Jefferson. So clearly I didn't not crush those drafts. Is, uh, is, I wasn't as dominant as I felt like I was while I drafted. Um, I, but Van Jefferson is the wide receiver one playing with a healthy Matthew Stafford in a team for a team that's probably going to be playing from behind a little bit. Sure. Yeah, Van can run some routes. He If Tutu can scare some people, or maybe Puka can, I don't know if that's going to happen. There'll be enough area underneath where he can do those slow developing routes working across the field where he gets open on those because he's not much of a vertical threat if you ask me other than those deep crossers that have worked out when there's other good receivers and I gotta say like his daddy Sean who was a who's a good wide receiver coach but I remember with the Patriots and the Chargers and the Lions he was kind of a he used to study these a lot as the ball was coming you know <laughs> And I think that Van's got a little bit of that when the ball's like somewhere between here and his navel. He's kind of like still figuring out what he can do with those. Um, and it's we're in year four, I think, with him. So, um, yeah, three or four. Jared Goff, speaking of former Rams, you know, as Van might be a future former Ram in a year. Um, Jared Goff, is he a starting quarterback in Detroit in 2024? You feeling that? Uh, a little bit, a little bit. I mean, look, they've got to make good. You know, the Lions are in a precarious spot here. They're, they have hopes. You know, there are hopes here. And so they've got to live up to some of those hopes. Uh, Jared Goff has to play better on the road than he did last year. I think all those things are possible. In fact, I think they're probably likely. Defense is probably going to be his biggest problem, though, right? Or their biggest obstacle to meeting expectations. And meeting expectations will be a determining factor. But they are talking about extending his contract. I mean, I think that tells you what you need to know. So I'm feeling yeah. it. I'm kind of feeling it too. He might be the Ryan Tannehill, the next kind of Ryan Tannehill-esque guy and get that opportunity. They seem to like him. And there's, you know, golf was known as a real tough guy playing at Cal. And there was a lot of <clears throat> people that liked him. And then it just seemed like the Rams, he just got thrown under the bus a, a fair bit. I, I feel I I feel that, right? Like fucking Sean McVay. Like, I mean, just like the 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 the, the switch flipped, right? And maybe it, like we're not there every day, so we don't see everything they're seeing. Yeah. So maybe they saw more to it. But if it was simply the fact that they lost the Super Bowl, I don't know if that was Jared Goff's fault, Sean McVay. Yeah. I, yeah. Who came into who came into uh, Bill Belichick land playing ready to play checkers and and check and Belichick was playing chess. I mean, right, literally exactly. the same playbook, same plays, no changes to plays, no scheme, anything. Just said, my offense is so good, it's not going to matter. And Belichick said, young boy, let me uh, let me teach you how to coach and game plan in the NFL. I mean, it was that start. These West Coast, these young West Coast offensive coaches are something interesting when it comes to their, their players. I, I'll just say, I think... And he is buddies with old Kyle. I, Kyle's like my whipping boy on these shows. I, I lately with this stuff, I think McVeigh is a little bit of got a little bit of that too. I, I coach, you know, 
Um, beat reporters get really impressed by guys who have recall of what play happened back in 1892. Like, I don't care. Did the play work or did it not work? I don't care whether you remember a play. You know, that's fine. It's just like you look at McVay, though. I mean, with the thing with Cam Akers last year, I mean, what the hell happened there? Where a guy disappears for a period of time, then walks back in the door and becomes your dominant player on offense uh, down the stretch. Was that a him problem or a you problem, Coach? I don't know. Yeah, I don't know either. It's But think something doesn't smell right with these West Coast offensive coaches. That's all I got to say. Um, Chris Brooks. <laughs> running back two in fantasy this week for Miami. Am I look? I'm a big Chris Brook fan. Everyone knows I brought this guy up because I love the guy, and he was my he was my like unsung, you know, undrafted hero of choice. And he's had a good preseason. So am I? Am I? Is am I going over the moon and like, you know, with my tinfoil mm-hmm. hat to say that Chris Brooks is a running back two in fantasy this week? You are. Okay. Um, but, but you know, it, like a couple things. Uh, you know, Raheem Mostert still exists, and that seems like it's the most likely, you know, vehicle. You know, we think of this offense as being run heavy. It wasn't run heavy. They didn't, they didn't run the ball that much last year. Um, they do run, and they tend to run effectively. So if he gets an opportunity, sure. I just don't know if the opportunity comes week one. But it will come. Yeah. Right. I mean, you know, that's the nature of these San Francisco style offenses. They seem tend to roll through running backs like uh, like nobody's business. So I would not be surprised. And he looks, you know, he has that size profile. I mean, all the pieces seem to make sense to me and that he is still there uh, also tells you something. Right. So I, and I I'm would. Yeah, I, I wouldn't probably take the chance this week unless you're just really things have really gone off the rails for you this early. And I doubt it has. But I, I would be adding Chris Brooks to rosters, um, it, you know, in deeper rosters, at least 20, 20, 20 man rosters. I would be adding in anything that's over 25, 30, I think you want to add this guy. Um, same thing, obviously, with Jaleel McLaughlin. That's another one. And they are. Yeah, they saying, love him. Yeah, they're saying he's <laughs> they going to him. play early right. in the game. <laughs> right, right, you know? right. So maybe let's add this one. Are you feeling Jaleel McLaughlin taking over for Javante <laughs> Williams by mid-year? No, but <laughs> I feel him getting turns, man. I totally do. I talked to Parker Gabriel from the Denver Post uh, last week, and he couldn't quit talking about him and Cortland Sutton, by the way. He was, uh, you know, just the way they've looked in general throughout camp. And, uh, and like, they're going to use multiple backs. And, and expecting a slow start for Javante Williams seems pretty reasonable. I mean, I know things are trending in the great direction for both he and Brees Hall. I think in both those cases, uh, we should probably be a little bit cautious, Brees Hall and Javante Williams, uh, about our expectations early on. And I think others are going to get opportunities, including McLaughlin. Now, I know that. This may be one of those false um, positive situations coming up pretty quickly here, which to me is Miles Gaskin, the former Dolphins running back. He's in he's in Minnesota. They got Alexander Madison. They've you know they talked to Kareem Hunt last month, and Hunt's had numerous offers, and we haven't heard much. and And I would think that Hunt in Minnesota could be a really good fit. Um, so. <laughs> Are we looking at Miles Gaskin pulling the rug out from Ty Chandler this week in terms of playing time and becoming a false positive when they then end up signing Kareem Hunt after everybody like went to their wherever wire to get Gaskin? Is Ty Chandler on the rug? I mean, 
can it can it be pulled out from under you if you're not on it? If you're like standing I, slightly, I don't know. Side? I feel like Minnesota like has been like rolling that, kept trying to tell him to keep his to lift his feet up so they can roll the rug under him. But I just don't know if it's worked. Uh, you know, the Kene Nwangu injury worked probably better for him. That Dwayne McBride thing worked out well. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's why you should get your RSP, folks. That's all I'm right, saying. Right, right, right. Uh, so, like, my, yeah, entirely pop, probably more likely Kareem Hunt does, but somebody will. I mean, I feel like, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a big Ty Chandler guy. Yeah, me neither. How about Jalen Warren? There was talk briefly where I think it was Dan Graziano, Jalen Warren's yeah. going to overtake Najee Harris this year. And then Dale Lally Dale says, Lally's stop like, your nonsense. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Go have, go sit down and have a Promontis. What do you Dale think? Lally, by the way, Dale Lally, if you don't know, is that he's writing for Steelers.com now, but he's been around forever covering that team and pretty sharp fantasy guy too. So, um, so if he talks, we listen. Yeah, I tend to. Like I, like Jalen Warren having a role is something that Marcus Grant wrote about in the Pro Forecast this year, where you also find Matt Waldman's great rookie article. Um, you know, we just have to get our head around the facts that the number of true feature backs, guys getting those, you know, complete roles or handling all of their team's backfield duties, are a rarity now. That's just not how it works. And Jalen Warren's going to have a role behind Najee Harris. It's just that's how it is. And maybe he is more explosive, and maybe he will make break off some longer runs and do things, but. But but thinking he'll move ahead in terms of the volume of workload, fuck that. Yeah, if he moves ahead of Najee Harris, that means Najee Harris is already done in the NFL, if you yeah. ask me. That's how bad it will have to be. And it's not that Warren is a bad player. It's that Najee Harris, when he's healthy, is a top 10, maybe top 5 running back in the league. That's how good he is. Forget last year that offensive line was awful. This year, the line should be better. We'll see if Pickett's better. All right. Yeah. Kendrick Bourne, Demario Douglas, Kayshawn Butte. Uh, any of those guys you feeling like for this season? Like you look at them and go, you know, hey, you know, I might need to pick up one of these guys in this Bill Belichick offense. Is is that an oxymoron to say Bill Belichick offense? It's the Bill O'Brien offense, young man. Yeah. And if I had, if you, well, if I had to pick one, it's Devonte Parker, who is not on my list. So Kendrick Bourne is next man on my list, just because he's been around there. He had, he's had some positive buzz. So is Boutte. I mean, so have all of them. I mean, I feel like you're taking your chances here with any of the three. If you made me take a chance, the one I'm feeling is Bourne a little bit more, just because he's been around. Seems to be out of the doghouse. Yeah, I'm. I'm agreeing. I would say I would go Bourne. I would say Bourne, Butte, and Douglas in that order. Yeah, um, and, and they all have some levels of promise. But Bourne can do multiple things, and we've seen what he could do on an NFL field, whereas the other two we haven't quite seen yet in a real game I, I have I have been in a fantasy draft with him. I'll tell you what Kendrick Bourne can't do. Draft? Draft a fantasy team. Oh. Uh, did he go all, all kickers? Buddies. All kickers early, buddies, all buddies. Uh, no mindful of the scoring system or the lineup requirements. So, so basically, you you felt like a shark at a poker game with the guppy. Uh, I felt bad. I felt yeah. like this is going to be a great league. Well, see, there you go, Marcus Valdez Scantling. Does he remain Kansas City's starter all year? 
with the with the likes of Rishi Rice and Justin Ross and Richie James. Dude. Is it the Rishi Rice who catches passes or who does, doesn't catch passes? Well, see, to me, that's a good question. I think that you kind of have to take the good with the bad with Rishi Rice, and the, and I don't know how long Kansas City will want to take the good with the bad if it that it shows up in that capacity. Um, I mean, I think ideally, no. I don't okay. know if they'll get there ideally. I think, I, I let's say this. I think the odds are against Marquez Valdez-Scanlon. Yeah. yeah Remaining I, the starter. Yeah, I get that. I'm with that. I think I think Justin Ross has a chance to earn that I type do of a role. Yeah, that's why the odds. The guy. That's yeah. why the odds. I think there's multiple guys yeah. who could who could move into that role ahead of him if they have yeah. some degree of success. Rice may be one of them. Uh, Ross may be one of them. I mean, so there there's more than one guy. So that's why I'd say the odds. Maybe, I mean, unless Marquez Valdez-Scantling starts, you know, making good on the things we think he can do good, which is run fast and be big. Yeah, yeah, I'm looking, who, I'm looking at fast this. Fast and big, he doesn't play fast and big. No, I think I think Ross is the guy, and if I were in a, you know, if I were to do dynasty rankings, which, oh, wait a minute, those just came out in September again. I just did put them out this morning. Um, I would have Justin Ross well ahead of Rishi Rice as the guy that I would want to be drafting short-term and long-term. All right, so let's end this with a little discussion about Deion Sanders. Coach Prime goes into TCU, 125, 130, 140-degree weather in there. He's got an offensive line that was cobbled together with transfers, and they hadn't really had played much together. He's got a crack staff of like great um, assistant coaches, um, that he put together, and you and they beat TCU. Now both these teams had the highest turnover rate of starters, some of the high, some of the highest t- turnover rates of starters on offense since Division One. But one seems to be moving in the right direction. The other one seems to be moving in the opposite direction, considering that they were a national championship um, team, you know, um, opponent in that game in the title game against Georgia last year. So. Are we looking at Deion Sanders and saying, you know, are you feeling him? Um, and really, I'll just say, feel it or fuck it for any reason and explain why. Um, well, I don't have to feel him because he's feeling it all himself. And uh, <laughs> and good for him, man. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, I've, I mean, like, you know, I listened to him. You know, I saw some, you know, describes on Twitter a little upset that he was calling out people for, you know, showing the receipts and whatnot. What else did you expect from Deion Sanders? Right. I mean, that's kind of his brand, right? So, yeah. um, I mean, I'm not a big college football fan. I don't necessarily understand how things work these days with the, you know, the ability to just like change your team overnight, like every single guy on the team. Uh, but they can do that, and apparently Deion has done that, and and I think he'll have some success. I think here, here's what I'm feeling: Deion Sanders making a bunch of money uh, over the next ten years as a coach of whether it's college or NFL. Yeah, I, I'm feeling Deion Sanders being a um, fielding a national championship contender by 25 or 26 by those years, and then making a jump somewhere else after that happens. Um, and I would say this to the scribes who complain about it: um, not all of you, but if you were the same people that liked Muhammad Ali or admire Muhammad Ali. You would be the same guy. You're complaining about Dion. 
you'd be the same guys complaining, you know, you'd be the same guys complaining about Muhammad Ali in terms of how he talked to them in interviews, even if the subject matter were different. I thought the complaint was, you know, was really narrow and, and like open to interpretation. It was like, he was asking that one reporter, do you believe? And then when, you know, like you, are you a believer? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it, you could see that question different ways. And if you were sitting there and, you know, I know Mike Freeman and Arif Hassan took the side that, like, he's asking us to pledge loyalty. No, that's not our job. And it's not their job. But I don't know that that's what he was doing. I mean, I could, yeah. you could read it either way. What I'm feeling, though, is uh, some prime energy. Uh, I mean, look, he did have the receipts. I mean, it, it, it just it, it just is what it is, right? He went yeah. out there. He did it his way. And he took down last year's national championship yeah. uh, runner-up. Yeah. So, Deion's, I mean, he gets, yeah. his, he gets his time. Exactly. And he's a showman. He's always been a showman. He always shows out, even if it's in an empty place. I can tell you, I worked at an empty place that he came into shortly after he got arrested in Duluth, Georgia, by an overzealous cop where he, I literally lived behind the the grocery store in the apartment complex behind the grocery store where he got arrested let me tell you the Duluth cops were the type of cops that would pull over a former cop who would be driving down the road and they would be ahead of him driving in the same direction and they would do that and he would literally complain I I literally knew a former cop where that happened because these guys are way overzealous he got arrested by parking in a fire lane at midnight to run into a Kroger to get medicine for his lady who and he had his you know hazards on empty parking lot i mean the the freaking shopping center closed down at 10 for the most part other than other than the I, I, grocery I feel store like, and I he feel got like, arrested for that he got the i'll just say this he came in he came in the next week where i worked in a mustard yellow linen italian suit with two guys dressed up more like you and me and was like and literally walked in like he was rick flair he walked in through the double doors of this chain restaurant that's empty and walked and walked in like this i'm not kidding i waited on him and he accused us of spiking a milkshake because he <laughs> had nothing else i guess better to do he was obnoxious and and that's okay he was young he was in his early 20s whatever but he still got the showman in him my my cat meows your dog barks it's kind of the expectation yeah exactly i mean deon sanders wants to be the rick flair of of division one and he's probably gonna do exciting it It is exciting you know i I, i'm all i'm all for it i enjoy it until something crazy happens if it does happen at all and it probably won't it'll just be more media reacting as we would say to to quote cecil lammy react to me you know that kind of thing that's like 90 percent of everything right now you know the old saying is life is 10 percent what happens to you 90 percent how you react to it we are living that reality right now well we are a raw nerve then i guess Mm. but you know but I'm, I'm going to keep the sheath on the nerve. I think that's probably the oh. best way to do that, right? I don't know. Is, don't nerves have sheaths? I think that's what they do. I believe you know? they do. So maybe nerves are like swords that way. I don't know. We are digressing pretty, pretty it's badly Labor here. Day. It's Labor Day. The train's off the tracks. Stay tuned um, for Bob Harris. You know, certainly, you know, you can find all his great work over at Football Diehards. Um, you can find me over at Football Guys. There is a show called The Audible Live Thursday night still it's still gonna be going it's gonna be a little bit of a different cast it's gonna be jeff bell and myself we're gonna be doing it simulcast live on twitter you can check that out um during the second half or at halftime of the ball games like as usual for all those years and 
we might be able to finagle some folks on who uh you know who from the from years past on occasion and if not we're gonna have a good old time up there so thanks again for listening and love you love you bye